Living Spring. Happy Labor Day weekend. Thanks for being with us this Sunday morning. Um, and I'm really excited, as always, when I get the chance to preach, and especially this morning because we're in between sermon series. So Pastor John gave me freedom to preach on whatever I wanted to. Um, don't be afraid. It's going to be good. And, <laughs> and so as I was praying and reflecting this week, uh, God brought to mind um, kind of a funny thing. He brought to mind my old commute to seminary. And so when I went to seminary for three years, I commuted twice a week from Long Beach to Pasadena on the 605 freeway. And so some of you online are not California residents, but all of you are California residents. And we know how cutthroat and how ruthless LA freeways can be. Um, yeah, amen, thank you, yes. Especially during rush hour. So when I was on my way to seminary, of course I would sometimes be almost late to class, and then the person right in front would be going unbearably slow. Or I would be driving like 80, and maybe there's a police car around, and then someone behind me would like honk their horn or go, try to get me to go faster. And I will admit, sometimes an evil desire creeped in to either go really slow or really fast just to spite the other drivers. Um, but so after 30 minutes of that craziness, I would go past Whittier, and there was a freeway overpass, and there was a simple sign. It was a simple cardboard sign with black letters, and it said, Ask Jesus for mercy. Ask Jesus for mercy. And so every time I saw that sign, I was like, oh, yes, God, I need your mercy. And so I would ask him for mercy. And it caused me to wonder. And then for the rest of that drive, I could see my fellow people in the cars as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I had a little bit more patience for them. Um, but I started to wonder, what would the 605 freeway be like if we all stopped and asked Jesus for mercy and offered it to others? What would an LA freeway like be like if it was filled with mercy? No road rage, no honking, no dirty looks. Um, just mercy poured out on un very undeserving drivers. What would that look like? And then I started to think, as I was preparing for this sermon, what would a whole world look like if we stopped and asked Jesus for mercy and offered it to others? Because I don't know about you guys, maybe it's just me, but I feel like lately I've just been overwhelmed by these cycles of it just seems like seemingly unending mercilessness in our society. It feels like we're all just waiting to pounce on people for saying something wrong, doing something wrong. We want to judge people by their worst actions. We want to define people by their worst days. Um, and we want to make people pay. We want to be God for other people. We want to judge them. We want to cancel them. Um, and so again, I've just been wondering, what if we asked Jesus for mercy and offered that to others? Um, so that led me this week to the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. And so you might be like, what in the world is the Sermon on the Plain? Because um, in Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke, Jesus actually comes down from the mountainside after picking his 12 followers. And he comes right where the people are. Um, to give them this radical message of discipleship and this radical message of what it means to follow Jesus. And so that's our scripture passage for this morning. And so if you have a Bible on your phone, 
or in person, I invite you to look up Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. So I'll give you a minute to do that. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. And please join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word. God, we thank you that you are a father of mercies, Lord, that you are rich in love and faithfulness. Lord, you are abounding in mercy. And you sent your son Jesus to show us what mercy looks like as a living, breathing human being. Lord, pour out your mercy on us this morning and help us to begin to offer it to others. And we pray all of this in your powerful and merciful name, Jesus. Amen. So you can close your eyes one more time, because um, as I read the scripture, I want us to really imagine what it would be like. So you heard in the town about this Jesus guy who is healing people, he's teaching these crazy things, and you see him in the distance on the mountain, and you start running because you want to hear what he has to say. And as you get within earshot, he begins to say this in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So have you ever been shown mercy by someone who shouldn't have even been nice to you, let alone love you and be kind to you? Maybe they had a reason to hate you or to judge you, but they loved you anyways. What did that feel like? What was that like for you? These are just some examples, but maybe you were in a fight with a sibling or with your spouse and it got heated and in a moment of anger you said something horrible that you regret and you wanted to take back and instead of getting back at you and saying something at you, they opened their arms and they said, I'm sorry, I love you, I forgive you. Or maybe there's someone at work that you just can't stand and you just judge them in your heart and you think they're the worst person ever and then when you get a flat tire as you're trying to go home, they are the first one to help you and they make sure that you get home safely. Or maybe there's a group of people that in your mind, those are those people, they're the other, they're like beyond God's redemption at this point. Um, they're just those people and you can't stand them. But they're the ones, again, when you're in trouble, they somehow showed you mercy and were there for you. When things like this happen, I feel like sometimes it feels otherworldly, like it's this alternate reality 
when people operate out of mercy and show us grace um, that we don't deserve. So remember that feeling of what it feels like to receive that from others. It can be shocking in the best way when people go beyond the world standard MO of returning love for love and hate for hate. In our passage, Jesus invites his disciples into a radical, scandalous type of mercy and love that even extends to enemies. Those people that make your blood curdle, that are downright rude to you, those people that you think are beyond redemption. What do you guys think the disciples first thought when they heard these words? They were just coming maybe to Jesus to get healed, to hear some good news, and here he is saying, love your enemies. It's hard enough that earlier in the passage, they were told to not lose their temper, to turn the other cheek, to give their cloak, and now Jesus' disciples are instructed that they must love those who hate them, do good to them, not just think love in their hearts, but actually do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything in return. Really, Jesus? Are you serious? This seems impossible. Am I right? Is it just me? <laughs> um, this high calling to love our enemies without expecting anything in return is contrasted in verses 31 through 34 with the ways of the world. So we, Jesus is saying, this is how my disciples live. This is how the world lives. And in the message paraphrase, I'm going to read it now because it just kind of helps me think about it in a different way. And we could put that on the screen if anyone wants to. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it might be a few. Yes, perfect. If you only love the lovable, do you expect to pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. These are, man, these are tough words, but Jesus is saying nothing remarkable is happening when you do good to those who do good to you, when you say hi to your friendly neighbor or the grocery clerk, or you give your friend a hug, or on Facebook you comment a positive comment on someone with exactly the same views as you. These things aren't bad, but Jesus is saying disciples who don't move beyond a basic reciprocal kind of love are just like everyone else. In fact, Jesus is saying if we stick to only loving our own tribes, our own cliques, the people that look like us, think like us, vote like us, pray like us, we're not any better than people that we think are the worst of sinners. In God's kingdom, for Jesus' disciples, the standards are higher. When someone cusses us out, we're called to pray for them. When they leave an all-caps Facebook rant, it's kind of nasty, we're called to bless them, maybe even call them in person, see what's going on. Eddie laughed at that one. <laughs> um, when someone from a different country, race, religion, or language is suffering, we are called to treat them as our neighbor and to advocate for them as if they were our own flesh and blood. Because in Jesus' family, they are. Jesus, as always, is getting real with his disciples. 
But it doesn't stop there. Although we're not supposed to expect a reward from others, verse 35 does go on to talk about a great, great reward. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. In the kingdom of God, the way it works, it is in our best interest to offer love and mercy to others, because then we're acting out of our true identities. Verse 36 brings Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Plain home. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The foundation for kingdom ethics is God himself, his very nature. In showing mercy to others, we are participating in the life of God and his deepest heart. His greatest desire is to show mercy. Divine mercy is waiting. I read somewhere, um, like some people might think that, or you know, if you prick God, maybe justice or, well, God really cares about justice, but punishment or something is coming out. But I read a quote and it was like, at the slightest prick, God is waiting to pour forth mercy. It's just as natural to him as the sun rising and the sun setting. And God showed us what length his mercy goes when he came to earth as a perfect human and lived a life of mercy and compassion towards the most marginalized and was flogged, beaten, and rejected by his closest friends. And yet he chose to die for them and for us anyways. This unconditional love and mercy, even for enemies, is the merciful, open-hearted way of living that Jesus is inviting all of us to. So this is an amazing invitation, an incredible calling. And as we discussed earlier, it feels great when we've messed up and someone shows us mercy. Whew, that's awesome. But if we're honest, how in the world do we do it? Is this merciful posture Jesus is talking about, does it come easy for you? How has it been working out for you? If I'm honest with myself, in my life, although some days are better than others, I still see a huge gap between my heart and my flesh that wants revenge and wants people to pay for their sins and the way of mercy and relinquishing others to God, letting God be God, letting God take care of the judgment that is due. So how can I, how can you, how can we begin to bridge this gap? Instead of ending my sermon here and saying, go home, just be more merciful, everybody, got this, try harder. Um, I have three ideas that could potentially help us on our journey toward being merciful as our Father is merciful. Number one, receive our identity. Number two, see God as God, see others as God sees them. And number three, Expect a reward. So number one. First, we have to realize that this call to merciful living, which involves loving the most obnoxious and frustrating people in our life, is not, is not something that we can achieve with our own strength or by sheer willpower or force. If we try to do it on our own, 
the fruit won't be really good, our results won't be really consistent, and we'll probably burn out pretty quick. Instead of striving towards mercy, we are invited to receive our identity as the beloved children of a heavenly father who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. First, we have to really believe and know deep within our heart God's merciful nature, a mercy that comes so naturally to him. I feel like, at least for me, part of my faith journey has been letting go of some beliefs about God that aren't actually true when we look at scripture. God so, value, or so values justice and holiness and is hates sin with every fiber of his being, but the true, the deepest heart of God is mercy. We see in the Old Testament in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, the first words out of God's mouth when proclaiming to Moses his name, the Lord. Those first words are merciful and gracious. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Those are the two first words God uses to describe himself. These attributes are at the very heart and core of who God is. In Ephesians, God is described as rich in mercy. And that's the only place he's described as rich in something. So he's a billionaire in the currency of mercy. He's not frugal or stingy, but lavish in mercy. In Corinthians, he's described as the father of mercies. It's just natural for him as a father to father a child to produce and foster and nurture mercy. It's who he is and what he does. Since this is who our Heavenly Father is, and he has this love for enemies and this merciful gene in his DNA, as his sons and daughters, we've received the gene too. It's already in us. It's who we are as God's people, as God's family. We're now invited to live into who we already are. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, used to tell people when they were receiving communion, receive who you are, become who, what you've received. Receive who you are, become what you've received. So at times, I can still try to make God's kingdom happen rather than following my rabbi Jesus who promises that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And over my years of walking closer and closer with Jesus, and I know many of you have been walking many more years with Jesus, so you have way greater testimonies that I can't wait to hear about. But over my years of receiving more of his kindness, of his mercy, of his tenderness, of his goodness, I've been more able to extend love to myself rather than judgment or self-hatred. I've been more able to let go of the bitterness, resentment, and judgment I want to hold on to and give that to God. I've been more able to show compassion to that person that I just get so annoyed with in my life. I've been more able to love genuinely from my heart people that could never love or pay me back. And as we continue on this journey, I invite myself, I invite you all, 
let's continue to open ourselves up to the mercy that God wants to pour out on us. And I bet we will notice too that showing kindness to that rude, insufferable client at work, greeting that really annoying neighbor, listening really closely and compassionately to someone who has a completely different life experience than you, and deleting the all-caps Facebook rant you were about to press publish on, all of that becomes a little more natural, a little bit more of who we really are. Our capacity to be merciful naturally grows as we continue to receive our identity as God's beloved children, remembering that our Father is a Father of mercies. Second, the second thing that can help us is to be merciful like our Heavenly Father is to see our enemies the way that God sees them. This, of course, is easier said than done. One of my favorite things to do as a minister is to invite people into inner healing prayer. So that might sound like, ah, weird and crazy. Um, but basically, it's just getting God's perspective on people and situations. And that can really produce a lot of healing and freedom in people's lives. And I've seen people's lives transformed. And I was a part of an inner healing training um, this past weekend. And the facilitator had us think of someone, have God bring to mind someone that we were holding um, judgment or unforgiveness towards. And she invited us to ask God, God, what's your perspective um, on this person? And first, before we did that, we relinquished our right to be God in their life. We relinquished our right to judge them. Um, and then we asked Jesus what his perspective was. And it really helped level the playing field and it helped me um, when God showed me this person and I saw um, their very real sin and woundedness and walls, but yet that they had a glimpse of the glimmer of the image of God with them too. And it just kind of helped me level the playing field and I gave less power to their words because um, God's perspective helped me realize God is way above anything they could ever say or do. And so God's perspective really helped give me space in my heart um, to offer mercy towards them. So maybe um, this week you could spend some time asking Jesus to help you see your enemies, whether that's a parent or a group of people, an institution, or even yourself, from God's point of view. God, show me what your point of view is. How do you see this person? I can't, I can't judge them anymore. I can't be God in their life. God, show me how you see them. And God, as we do that, can help us remember that they too, like us, are deeply wounded and hurting people and that God's mercy extends to them too. Before I go any farther in talking about mercy and forgiveness, I want to quickly talk about um, some myths about forgiveness that I think have really actually been used as a weapon against people. Um, so being merciful or forgiving doesn't mean that we have to minimize what happened or that we don't tell the truth about sin and oppression, but rather truth-telling and lament is essential to true healing. We have to really be honest with God about what people have done and the real hurt and pain that it caused us, and then God can take that and transform it. And we um, are all on our own journey, so I know <laughs> 
preaching a sermon about being merciful. Um, but we can never use these words of Jesus as a weapon against others, especially those who have faced generations of oppression and hurt, unless we are putting our lives on the line to fight for justice, to fight for them, to listen to them, to change the society we live in, we can never use forgiveness as a weapon. Um, and we, forgiveness and being merciful doesn't mean that you have to trust an abuser again. It doesn't mean that you have to reconcile. Um, when that happens, it's miraculous and it's the power of God and it's beautiful and it's what we hope for. But sometimes um, reconciliation doesn't happen this side of heaven. And so we always have to rely on God and trust in God and seek God in this. But as we are merciful, that allows us to be free and to move on and let God be God and deal um, with our enemies. And lastly, as we seek to be merciful, as our Father is merciful, according to our text, we can expect a reward. Who likes rewards? I love rewards. <laughs> Eddie and Cameron, awesome. Um, I'm not saying you're going to win the lottery tomorrow or a free car or a promotion at work. Um, but what I'm saying is that in the kingdom of God, the way it works is that as we release judgment, bitterness, mercilessness towards others, then we have more room to receive God's mercy, God's grace, God's goodness towards us. And I had a sem um, seminary professor who talked about it as the physics of the kingdom of God. And she said, Jesus is being merciful here and letting us know how the kingdom of God works. And that as we show mercy and live an open-hearted life like Jesus, then that's in our best interest because we have more room, physically even, as we let go of that bitterness to have God's mercy come and fill us in the place of that. And in my life and in those that I've ministered to, I've seen how mercy and forgiveness can have tangible fruit and it can change the trajectory of generations of people. So I've seen how mercy, when we release others to God, that it can change not only your life, your family's life, but the life of your family for generations. Um, and so that's powerful. And in the Old Testament, God promises that his mercy extends to the thousandth generation. So his mercy is exponential, it's abundant, it's lavish, it keeps going and multiplying as we receive it and offer it to others. So like the very beginning of what I was talking about on the 605 freeway, that sign that said, ask Jesus for mercy. As we do that, as we stop, as we say, God, I need your mercy, Lord, help me, as we receive it for ourselves first, then we just might be able to begin to offer it to others. And as we do so, we will be blessed and freed to live into our realist identities as daughters and sons of a merciful father who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And that mercifulness, that is our birthright as sons and daughters of a kind and merciful father. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the father of mercies. You are abounding in steadfast love. So during this time, Lord, would you pour out your mercies afresh on us, Lord? Would you liven our hearts? Would you heal our hearts? Would you show us um, your specific tangible mercy that you want to give us today? 
And as we receive your mercy, God, um, would you show us if there's a way you're inviting us to respond? We pray all of this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. So I invite you, if you are willing and able, to please stand for our blessing. And you can put your hands forward in a posture of receipt. So in the name of God the Father, who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, and in the name of his son Jesus, who came to earth and lived a life of compassion and poured out his mercy on the cross for our sins, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who gives us fresh mercies every day, go forth this week, letting the merciful nature of God fill you and overflow, um, so that we may be merciful and kind as our Father is merciful and kind to the wicked. So go in peace, Living Spring, and have a wonderful week.